What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going That Is This podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 90, and we know the finals matchup. Boston and the Warriors. We got the full in-depth finals preview. Before that, usual baseball, buyer sellers, awards, some other stuff. Yeah, we got we got a lot of stuff this week. Uh, should be a pretty fun episode. Don't know if it's going to be a super long episode, but we got some good stuff this week. And uh, we're kind of in the dog days now of summer, I guess, at this point when it comes to baseball, where it's, it's, a, it's a constant as far as sports go. But uh, obviously the NBA is winding down and the NFL is kind of in their dry stage right now, too. So once the finals are done, uh, it's going to be a lot of baseball. But yeah. Luckily, we've set ourselves up ourselves up to have some content uh, when it gets down to there. Uh, but the first thing that we're going to do, same thing that we do every single week, is talk about the best thing that we saw over this past week. Skyler, what was the favorite thing that you saw? I got to go with Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Boston looked like for 46 minutes of this game, they were going to run away with it. But those last two minutes made up for it. You know, Jimmy Butler had 35 points, obviously pulled up for a 3 for the win, he probably could have tied it up there going at Al Horford uh, back trailing one-on-one mm. there. But I don't blame him. Uh, he played every single minute of that game. He did not want to go to overtime. And he yeah. hit that shot this series. So I don't blame him. Unfortunate for uh, for Miami. Would have been an easier matchup for the Warriors. But uh, still a great game. Congrats to the Celtics. Yeah, for sure. Great job by the Celtics. That was a great game there. And Jimmy even said that he he's going to live with that shot. He's not going to. He's not going to kick himself. Obviously, he's going to kick himself for not making yeah. it, but he's not going to kick himself for not taking that shot pretty much is what he was saying. Best thing I saw has to be the Warriors making the sixth finals in the last eight years. It's only been two teams in the last 30 years to do this. It's the Warriors, obviously, and then Jordan's Bulls as well as that other team. The Cavs made it five years in a row, and they obviously haven't really been back since, so they don't really make it to that list. But uh Pretty elite company when it comes to that for the Warriors dynasty as well uh, with Michael Jordan and his squad back in the 90s. That game, though, game five, Warriors won 120 to 110 at home, led the way by Clay Thompson, who had 32 points on eight of 16 from three. And then, as always, Kevon Looney playing a big part in this series when he had 10, 18, and four assists as well. And the Warriors send the Mavs home. So pretty cool there for the dubs, obviously. That takes us on to the Immaculate Sports Player of the Week, which we're going with the Western Conference Finals MVP, Stephen Curry. The first person to ever win that award. Is It's the first year that they've ever given it out. But a pretty cool award for Steph. And one of our favorite players, obviously. So he goes ahead and gets his Immaculate Sports Player of the Week now. Probably the biggest award that he's won ever. (laughs) <laughs> out of anything that he's ever done in his career. So shout out to Steph when it comes to that. You're welcome. Yeah. But it is episode 90, Skylar. Yeah. So who is your favorite number 90? I'm going to go with uh, a 2000s football legend. Kind of uh, started popping up around the time we were watching football. Julius Peppers, nine-time Pro Bowler. Uh, just a ridiculous amount of sacks. What's the number? 159 and a half. He will be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure what year he is up for it. Mm, maybe probably next year, year or the year after. Year. 
Yeah. Yeah. But he'll be in there. Uh, it's my favorite 90. Yeah. I'm going to go with another pretty good pass rusher, and that's the current reigning defensive player of the year, TJ Watt, who sports the number 90 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kind of crazy to think that this guy already has 72 sacks in his career, even though he's only been around for four or five years at this point, maybe, maybe six, but uh, I'll go with TJ Watt. Not going to see me name a lot of Steelers on this favorite player yes. with that number list, but uh, TJ has got to be one of them. He's a good guy. That then takes us to the team report, Skylar. Do you have anything with the Jets this past week? Uh, we have nothing. Really? Yeah, I, that's good, though. No bad news coming out of camp. That's true. Yeah. Now, uh, not, not too often when you have something heat up uh, once we get to June or late May for football, but it's about to heat up here for the Raiders as on June 1st, they get $19 million in cap space cleared off the boards of Corey Littleton and uh, Carl Nassib's contract, I believe it was. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody else, but... Uh, Go get some corners. Yeah, they have those two... Those two contracts coming off the board, and that leads the Raiders to having $25 million left in cap space for this season. Uh, a lot of people thinking that Dominican Sue is going to be a guy that comes over here, considering Akeem Hicks just went to the Buccaneers. Uh, from there, it seems like the Raiders were the only team that were left interested in them. There's a slight need at that third wide receiver spot. You kind of you can go with Keelan Cole. You can go with Demarcus Robinson. Or you could go with Odell Beckham if you really want to go ahead and do that. So Whoa. they got the money for it if they want to give him a one-year prove-it deal. Or, I mean, he's kind of already proven it, but he tore his ACL again, obviously. Uh, or if you want to, I don't know how many teams are going to be willing to do this, but if teams want to move a star and the Raiders are willing to give up their picks in the future, they definitely have the cap space to go ahead and add another really good player on either side of the ball, whatever they want to do. Probably none of that will happen. Probably just a Namakin Sue, but it's good to speculate. It's good to talk. And uh, it's pretty much where we're at right now with the team in Las Vegas. That takes us into the spotlight now, Skyler. Tell me about the most famous plumber in New York right now. Yeah, that is Nick Plummer, the Mets outfielder. Four for eight, two homers, five RBIs in his first two career starts. He was up a little bit, had a pinch hit uh, at bat earlier in the year. But the Mets are seven and three in the last 10, even after their injuries. A lot of that is due to this guy helping them in the last two games. And uh, it just wasn't enough to get a weekly award. So I I got him here in the spotlight because it's important. Yeah, for sure. I am going with an MLB prospect, and that's Corbin Carroll, who I want to spotlight. It's the Diamondbacks' number one prospect and the 13th-ranked prospect in, prospect in all of the major leagues. 21-year-old is currently playing at AA Amarillo. Uh, the Sod Poodles, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. or Sod Poodles or something like that is their, their team name. So kind of classic minor league baseball team name there. But he's been going ham this year for them. 20 or not 22, 12 homers with 15 stolen bags already this year, slashing just under 300 as far as average goes. OBP at 429, OPS over one right now, and his WCR plus or WRC plus, not CR, uh, is sitting at 161 right now. This dude's projected to come up next year because he is in double A right now, but with mm-hmm. how Diamondbacks have been looking and some of their younger guys. Could be a pretty exciting trio or, or quad, whatever you want to call it, with uh, 
Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, Dalton Varsho, and the guys that they got calling up right now. Pretty exciting year so far for the D-backs. We'll talk yeah. more about them later on in also, the show. Uh, also big with Corbin Carroll, too, is he had a huge injury last year. He could have came up. They were they were talking about it, or at least uh, questioning it. You know, uh, So to see him get right back on track is pretty cool. Yeah, he's been an absolute stud this year, for sure. We'll see if he – he's probably going to go to AAA first, though, before yeah. he goes to AA, I assume. Not a lot of guys make that jump, but usually when they do, that's pitchers, and obviously he is not one of those. But we'll be talking about our player, pitcher, and rookie of the week now as we get into where's your head at. Skyler, who is your player of the week? My player of the week is going to be Paul Goldschmidt from St. Louis. 21-game hitting streak, 8-for-19. That's a 421 average this week. Four homers, nine RBIs. He was pretty much perfect. I don't know if they – did they play today? They uh, are playing right now, I believe, against Padres, yeah. Okay. Going up against Blake Snell. I know that. Uh, he walked in his first at-bat, so not extended to 22 yet, but we'll be watching that. Yeah. I'm also going with Goldie. He had a great week. Like Skyler said already, eight for 19, four homers and nine RBIs. One of the more underrated players in baseball over this past decade, for sure. I have a Diamondbacks Goldschmidt jersey. Oh, yeah. There we go. On to pitcher of the week, Skyler. Who do you got here? I got Aaron Ashby from the Brewers. This is a guy I've been I've been really high on for a couple of years now. Two quality starts this week. Seventeen strikeouts in twelve innings. Only one earned run. I'm going with uh, a guy that's also on the Brewers, but is not named Aaron Ashby. I'm going with Corbin Burns. He pitched on Sunday against the Cardinals and completely shut him out. Seven innings, two hits, 11 Ks and zero runs allowed. Corbin Burns, who we thought might be off or did get off this low start in his first couple starts with the Brewers this year, has really got it back on track. His ERA is now in the low twos. It might be even even in the high ones right now. This guy, he's back. Corbin's definitely back, which is good to see. On to rookie of the week. Yeah, I got Mackenzie Gore again. Seven shutout innings against the Pirates, nine strikeouts. He has been very good. I did not go with Mackenzie Gore this time. I think I went with him last week, but I'm going with Paul Goldschmidt's teammate, Nolan Gorman, who went 7-14 like for this week with two homers and six RBIs. One of those homers was his first big league bomb. And to say the least, it was definitely a bomb. A uh, couple of moonshots this week for Gorman. Uh, and I mean, Libertor's coming up for them right now. Gorman's there. They got the old guys. They got the current superstars in Arenado and Goldschmidt. The Cardinals are just one superb franchise. Like there's this kind of everything going on for them. I got to uh, gotta say before we move on, in Nolan Gorman's MLB debut, I picked him and beat the streak. And go. he got it for me. Of course he did. That's Nolan Gorman. <laughs> Moving on now to our next topic. We're talking buyers and sellers. I know it's a little early right now, but the date of the May 31st, that 31st date just gives us the feeling of the trade deadline. Cause we know the trade deadline usually falls on that July 31st date. Now it's actually not, I believe it's on August 2nd this year or August 4th. Oh, uh, we need to get back a little back. bit because yeah. of the, the lockout. Yeah. But usually it's on the 31st, and it being the 31st today got us thinking onto that. It might be a little bit early for this, but we're going buyers and sellers. We have five teams here that we're going to go over, see what they're going to do here at the trade deadline. The first team that we're talking about 
is the Rangers. They made a lot of moves in free agency, signing Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. Marcus Semien, who just hit his first home run with the Rangers over this past weekend against the A's. They currently sit at just below 500, I believe. Let me check real quick. They are at 23 and 24, so a game under 500. Do you think the Rangers buy, sell, stay put? What do you think they're going to do? I think they got to sell right now. Obviously, the two big contracts, Semien and uh, and Seager, they're in their first year. Those guys aren't going anywhere. But the guys like Martin Perez, Cole Calhoun, with no future in Texas, should be traded for uh, two contenders for something. Yeah, I, I'm slightly on the side of staying put or maybe on a little bit of selling as well. I think the Rangers have a really good understanding of where they fall as far as the American League goes right now. They know they're not the Astros. They know they're, they're not the Yankees, Blue Jays, any of those teams. They kind of understand that they're a tier two, maybe two tiers below uh, those really good teams. So I think they sell a little bit. Martin Perez, Cole Cahoon are the, some of the guys uh, like Skeller was talking about, only move I could see him pulling off to get a guy would be a yeah. long-term starting pitcher because I don't really have anybody there. Looking at the guys, there's not really a lot of people I like when it comes to that. And their prospects should be coming up soon. Uh, leader, win, should be coming up within the next year or two. And then as far as their infielders, outfielders, guys like that, Huff, Jung, uh, Foscue, and Duran all should be up within the next year or two as well. So things are starting to turn around for the Rangers. Obviously, they got two superstars to build around, or at least one superstar on Corey Seager. Uh, but they have two big guys that are Seager and Semyon to build around for sure. And I assume they're not done spending in free agency over the next few years. Next up, we're talking about the Phillies. They haven't made the playoffs since 2011. Do we see them perhaps make a move here? What do you think they're doing? They really should sell, but I think they're going to be buyers at the deadline. The pitching's been surprisingly good this year. I think they're third in pitching strikeouts, uh, and they're hitting in the top 10 in everything, as expected. I think they'll get a bullpen arm, probably some defense. Yeah, this team's got to buy. I think they are just rinse and repeat for the Phillies the last like four or five years at this point where they're just slightly under 500 or slightly over 500, and they make moves and they don't paint out well. Uh, they spent a lot in free agency signing Castellanos and Schwarber and all those guys, but it hasn't worked out so far. It's been the same issue as last year and the year before that. It's the bullpen. So right now they're sitting at 21 and 28, which is kind of shocking. I feel like they would have been a little bit better at this point, but they got to buy. I mean, it's, it's been so long since Phillies had a decent baseball team uh, ever since Ryan Howard, Roy Holiday, Carlos Ruiz, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, those guys left. Flying Hawaiian. This team has been terrible. So I think they got to buy. Philly fans need something. Uh, their bullpen sits at like seventh worst in the league right now. So that's definitely the focus for me if I'm the, the Diamond, not the Diamondbacks, the Phillies GM. Now we're going to talk about the Diamondbacks, who are one of the most surprising teams in baseball right now. They're just a couple games under 500, but I think all of us expected them to be terrible this year. Yeah. Obviously, they haven't been that way. Christian Walker's been good. Dalton Varsho has been good. Marte's starting to finally heat up. Their starting pitching has been amazing. Merrill Kelly, Zach Gallen, Bumgarner have been a great trio for them so far. So what do you think the Diamondbacks do at the trade deadline this year? This may be controversial because, like you said, they're doing better than expected. 
They're ready to bring up some prospects, but I think they should sell here. Uh, Colorado's farther along in the rebuild. And the guys like Zach Gallen, Mad Bum, Kelly, Josh Rojas, I don't think they're going to progress any farther than they are right now. So I think you got to take advantage of this. And it, it may sacrifice a couple of years, but I think it's best for the future. I'm going to go slight sell. A very slight sell. I think the guy that comes to mind the most for me is David Peralta. I think they can go ahead and finally move on from him. He's approaching his mid-30s. He's 34 right now. So he's an option that could be moved, uh, and they can actually get some pretty good prospects back for him. He's OPS, so just around 800 right now, and he plays pretty solid defense as well. So they're going to be able to get some prospects back, and I think uh, prospects that they should look for are big league ready infielders, guys that are just about ready to come up or just have came up at this point. Like Logan Davidson? Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice try when it comes to that. I don't think we're trading for David Peralta this year, but a team the mind, that comes to mind is the Yankees. Always they're going to be a team that has big league ready guys. And so I don't know if the Yankees do. I don't know what the return package would be for that, but David Peralta might be the only guy that we see the D-backs sell this year. I think their starting pitching has been great. I think it's going to continue to be great. I think they got some pretty good pieces to build around with uh, those young studs that are coming up for them. Now we're going to talk about the Rockies. Skyler alluded to them a little bit earlier. Uh, Rockies sell by, what do you think here? Here's where I have my slight sell. Uh, You got to offload some guys like Iglesias and Daniel Bard, but keep the core together. I I really think they're onto something here and I, I like their future more than Arizona right now. I like Colorado too. I, I had a little stretch where I was picking them to make the playoffs because they got off to such a hot start. They've slowed down since they've done what the Rockies have done in the past 20 years and just gave up a shit ton of runs. That is understandable though, because they do play in Coors field, but uh, they're giving up a lot more runs than they are scoring runs. So I guess it's maybe not really forgivable, but uh, I'm selling. And one of the guys I'm selling on is Connor Joe. I think this is the highest that he's going to get his value to ever be in his career. Uh, so they can probably get some prospects back for him. And then a couple of relievers I'm selling on as well, since their prospects are not that good right now. They got to bolster up the depth of their, their uh, prospects and uh, minor league system. And I think a couple of relievers that can go ahead and get them some prospects back is Tyler Kinley and Daniel Bard. Kinley's got an ERA of under one right now. He's been a stud for them in the back of the bullpen. And same thing with Bard, not at sub one, but center on that three spot. And he's been one of the more consistent arms for that Rockies team over the last few years. But I think this is the time where they move on from him. And uh, I mean, you can really get relievers anywhere. So I just remembered another, uh, another Rocky stat. So in this era of the, of the GM that they currently have not counting this year with Chris Bryant, Mm-hmm. Their 10 biggest signings and trades combined have a negative war under that's this fun. under this regime. So that's another big reason why I don't think they should buy anything right now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that Arenado trade's a little interesting, especially <laughs> with signing Chris Bryant, but I don't know. They can do whatever they want. They're still selling tickets. Uh, Rockies always sell a ton of tickets. Pretty cool ballpark as well. Uh, Another team that has a really cool ballpark, but it's old as shit, is the Red Sox. They're finally starting to get going. Uh, They sit right now at just three games under 500. Seems like just two weeks ago, we were panicking on the Red Sox, saying that they're going to sell Bogarts. At least I was. I think Skyler's actually saying that they were going to hold on to him. 
But right now, what do you think the Red Sox are going to do? What do you think the plan of attack should should be for them come July? I think you can look at this both ways. They were they were on fire the last couple of weeks, but I would sell it. This is another situation where I think there's no way the pitching can continue to be as good as it has as it has been. You know, I until Xander is signed, I I just don't consider him a part of the future. I I, I have been hearing that they've been trying to sign him, but it hasn't happened yet. And they're not going to catch the Yankees or even Tampa Bay this year. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. So I would try to sell some pitching, maybe. I'm actually going to go with a, a buy here for the Red Sox. I think this roster is too good, and we've seen in the past that this team is too good for them to just go ahead and sell with the squad. Uh, we still got a whole summer ahead of us. Obviously, a lot of things can change. They can get really hot or they can get cold again. But I'm buying arms. I think uh, getting some some innings eaters in their rotation is really big. I know Nathan Evaldi has been pretty good. Pavetta has been decent as well. Uh, Chris Sell isn't even back yet, so once he comes back, that's obviously adding – one of the best arms in all of baseball, but I think they need a, a quality four or five starter uh, that can really eat some innings for them. Somebody like Cole Irvin, who isn't going to shut guys down, but he's going to get you six innings just about every single start that he goes out there. Uh, I don't think Cole Irvin will be that guy, but a guy that can come to mind. I don't think he's going to be this good the whole season. That's Martin Perez. His value is not going to be super, super high. He's already played for the Red Sox once in his career. Uh, and you're not going to have to give up any crazy prospect to go ahead and get him, even though he does have that ERA that's hovering right around two. So I think they go ahead and add him. He's a high-end three, low-end or high-end four, low-end three, I think, in my opinion. Once it all settles down and everything, he's not throwing nine-inning complete game shutouts against the Astros. But I do think the Red Sox go a slight by. I don't, nowadays, I don't think there's any chance that they're selling Bogarts before the deadline. I, I don't think you're wrong. And I think this move would help more than it would hurt, but I just, I just don't see how that would get them over the hump. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think I understand they're, they don't want to quit. That's just, that's not how the Red Sox work. Their hump is just getting back to normal with a lot of their guys. Verdugo has been terrible. Obviously story had a slow start. Now he's starting to get going. Uh, Kike hasn't been as good. JD Martinez, even though he's hitting 350 is not hitting a lot of bombs, but they got that core three of right now Bogarts, Devers, Martinez, and they're all hitting 350, and they should be getting it done. So I think they eventually they believe that those three will get it done. So they're gonna buy, probably not give up too much, uh, and we'll see what it gets from there. I don't know if they're making the playoffs, but they could be that seven or eight spot in, in the AL for sure. Next thing that we're talking on is not going to be buyers or sellers anymore. We're moving on to which team is the most fun team to watch in baseball. I got MLB TV, so I can obviously kind of see what I'm doing here as far as like which games I'm clicking on and which ones I'm not. So what is your most fun or favorite team to watch this year, Skyler, and, and why is that? I think it's got to be the Angels so far this year. They played in so many exciting games. Even a couple days ago, 11 to 10 against Toronto. They lost, but it was crazy. Even the blowouts are exciting because there's there's been multiple no-hit bids by the Angels. Oh, and uh, they have Trout and Otani, too, in the lineup. Yeah. So that's pretty fun. Definitely helps when you have two of, two of the best players, if not the two best players in all of baseball on your team. It's definitely going to bode for some interesting games to watch as well. 
I'm going to go with the Mets, though. I think the Mets are so fun to watch as a team, especially as an A's fan, seeing guys like Starling Marte and Mark Canna and Chris Bassett play for them is really, really cool. Uh, in the half season that we saw Marte, I fell in love with the ball player that he is. He's just super fast, super electric, great defense. Even though he doesn't have the most power, when he connects with the ball, it's definitely going somewhere. And, uh, I mean, they got Frankie Lindor, Polar Pete, Brandon Nimmo has been great. Jeff McNeil's finally getting things going again. Nick Plummer hitting home runs in the bottom of the ninth to tie up the game. They got a great starting rotation when healthy. I know Max Scherzer and DeGrom are hurt right now, but that's the Shohei Otani and Mike Trout of pitchers that they have on their team right now with Scherzer and DeGrom. And they're just, they're the team that I find myself, oh, the Mets are on? Let's go watch that game. That, that, that's what I'm doing right now. Last thing that we're going to talk about before we get to halftime is our top 10 first basemen. We started this uh, tier ranking list kind of thing last week when we did it with the top 10 catchers. We're moving positions here. We're going to the first basement now. Do you have any honorable mentions that you want to talk about here, Sky? Uh, we'll go Rowdy Tellez and Jared Walsh, two guys that have been mashing, but uh, they just missed it. Yeah. I My honorable mentions were Walsh, Hosmer, Rizzo, and Josh Bell. Not a number 10. All right. Number 10, I have a guy you may not think of here, but it's Luis Arias. He plays a whole bunch of positions, but this year he's been a primary first baseman. He has a ridiculous on-base percentage, 454, a leader by far. And this is pretty much what happens if uh, Juan Soto decides not to hit for power. So he makes the list. Oh, God. Uh, I'm going with Joey Votto at 10. I know he's been terrible this year, but just track record is why I got to put him somewhere on this list. Um, doesn't play great defense, but usually he's getting it done with the bat. He's gone hot in the past few weeks too, where he's hitting about 300 over these past 14 days. Uh, and I think when it's all said and done, might look a little down for Votto, but, uh, it's going to be a solid season once things are all said and done, especially playing in that great ballpark of great American ballpark in Cincinnati on the number nine, number nine. I have Anthony Rizzo kind of slow right now, but a great month last month. We know we can get it done in the postseason. So kind of, kind of 50, 50 on uh, credibility and current. Yeah. Uh, number nine for me, I'm going with Yulieski Guriel. One of the more underrated first basemen in all baseball, in my opinion, I think he's, he's a right-handed Hosmer, but better pretty much. Uh, where they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark often, but they hit the ball to the other field. They're able to use all the gaps and uh, a really good hitter and a really good lineup uh, for Houston for sure this year. I know he's been down a little bit. I don't think he only has like one or two home runs, but uh, Yuli, guy that we've seen a lot in the last few years for sure as an A's fan. And uh, I'm picking him at number nine. On to number eight. Number eight, I have Eric Hosmer here. Because I I really trust Eric Hosmer, you know I trust him with two outs and the bases loaded, and and I, I'm just happy I was right that he would have a comeback season this year. So he makes the list. Number eight for me is going to be the former AL MVP Jose Abreu. I think he's a bit overrated with a lot of things. Uh, doesn't play good defense. I know that's kind of the one position where you can kind of get away with not playing any defense besides DH, obviously. But his bats digressed a little bit as well. And uh, compared to these other seven guys that I have in front of him, I don't really think uh, he's better than any of them, obviously. So 
I'm going with Jose Abreu at number eight. On to number seven. Number seven, I have CJ Crone. Kind of a career resurgence here in Colorado. He's been on fire the past two years. All-star, obviously. And uh, he's, I guess, part of the future now. Yeah. CJ Crone for me is also number seven. So congrats to Skyler and me for picking the same one there. Been matching this year. Obviously, it's in Colorado, but I don't really think there should be an asterisk for that because he's been hitting some balls that would be getting out anywhere, to say the least. Uh, CJ Crone, having a great year. And uh, one of the few guys on this list that his, his current year this year is really pulling his, his weight in, in yeah. total. Next up, number six. Number six, I have Ty France. Um, not a huge sample size, but he was our, our MVP of the season, uh, at least for the, for the first month and a half, you know, so I, uh, he can't go unnoticed, especially, uh, how bad the Mariners are struggling. He's the only guy standing out along with J rod too, but, but yeah. as a masher. Yeah. Number six for me is also Ty France. I think, uh, same thing here is what Skyler was saying. He's our MVP in the first month of the season. Uh, and once we look at the second month, I'm like, I was looking at the, the M's, record and stuff and i'm like he's had to have slowed down at this point like i haven't heard much about him but he's still doing the same stuff he's still hitting 320 330 not hitting a ton of home runs but it's tough place to hit home runs in seattle so ty france guy's a stud next up uh number five number five i have freddie freeman i think he's he's very solid all around but not excellent at one particular thing. And I think the four guys I have ahead of him are perfect at that particular superlative. So, so Freddie Freeman's five here. Number five for me has got to be polar Pete. The dude's a stud right now. Uh, and Pete Alonzo's taking that number five spot. Uh, I know his defense isn't anything crazy, but his offense is something to be talking about. Better than the rest of the guys that I've had on this list. Uh, probably not as good as some of these other guys that I have in my top four. But uh, Polar Pete, I think five is a good spot for him. On to number four. Number four is where I have Matt Olson. Uh, not playing great right now, but I don't care because I love Matt Olson. He, he's the best fielder here on this list. He's, he's pretty close in power, and I think he should get back on track. Yeah. Number four for me is going to be a guy that we've talked about quite a bit already in the show, and that's Paul Goldschmidt. One of the best first basemen of the decade, if not the best first baseman with him and Freddie uh, going back and forth probably in this. But, I mean, this dude's so good. He's so underrated. I think uh, when guys go to St. Louis, you can kind of forget about them uh, just because it's just so normal to play good baseball over there. And he has been playing so good baseball for that great Cardinals team and uh I lands by number four on my list. On to number three. Number three, I have Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, probably the best hit tool out of all the first basemen. And, uh, you know, young superstar. Vladdy. Wow. Wow. Number three for me has got to be You didn't Freddy. make your list? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, Freddie Freeman is going to be number three for me. Power numbers are down this year, uh, but he's still hitting – Round 300, still playing good defense. And Freddie's just being Freddie, uh, but in L.A. this time rather than Atlanta. On to number two. Number two, Polar Pete. Best power hitter out of all the first basemen. 
uh, still on fire. One of the guys who hasn't slumped a little bit for the Mets this year. Home run derby champion two times. Yeah, it's true. Number two for me is going to be Matt Olson. I know he's been down this year, but he's one of the few first basemen that show that defense matters for first baseman. And he's by far the greatest or best defensive first baseman that we've seen in the game right now. I know the bat isn't really there, but neither is Freddie's. I know Freddie has been hitting for average, but both of them have like five or six home runs. Braves fans hate Matt Olson right now, which is absolutely the worst thing I've ever seen. I've seen a whole bunch of tweets saying that, oh, Olson sucks. I wish we had Freddie back. But Matt Olson's different than Freddie. You guys have got to realize that defense matters as a first baseman. He's he's making plays. He's picking balls from Austin Riley, who's got a fucking unaccurate arm. who's just throwing it into the dirt, and Matt Olson's, oh, picked it, got it. Freddie Freeman's not doing that. Mariners on second base when Freddie Freeman's doing that. So I'm going with Olsen at number two, on a number one. My number one's Paul Goldschmidt. He's the only guy on this list over the past five years to be top three in offense and defense from this position. And uh, he's, what, 34 now, and he's still looking like an MVP caliber player. He's got to be number one for me. Number one for me has got to be Vlad. It's just got to be Vlad. I know he's down this year a little bit, but he's going to get going. Kid's only like 22 years old, so it's not like he's really going anywhere at this point. He's got a lot of time. He had a whole bunch of bombs last year. I think that's going to continue. He's just got to get hot. A lot of slow starts from players this year, but uh, I think we're going to see him get going here very, very soon. And that's going to do it for our top 10 first baseman. Let's go ahead and send it to halftime. All right, everybody. Welcome to halftime. We got to start it off with uh, some sad news, though. Jeff Gladney, NFL corner, passed away at 25 the other day. Uh, Very sad. Uh, So we'll just talk about him a little bit, I guess. From TCU, he's a great player there. Uh, Drafted 31st overall in the 2020 NFL draft. Had one year with Minnesota with three deflections and a forced fumble. He got hurt and just he just couldn't recover fast enough from it. So Minnesota waved him and Arizona picked him up for this season. So uh, we won't get to see him in Arizona, which is sad. Uh, but I have one fun fact about him and the draft. Uh, the Niners traded the 31st pick and a fifth round pick who turned out to be K.J. Osborne to the Vikings for Brandon Ayuk. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, I think it. Uh, you know, KJ Osborne was pretty good last year too. He's pretty comparable mm-hmm. to Brandon Ayuk. So decent trade all around and uh, very sad for Jeff Gladney. And we'll be thinking about him. Of course, man. Of course. Huh. RIP. Yep. Uh, some brighter news though. Darvin Ham, former assistant head coach, former G League head coach. He got hired, man. The Lakers got a new head coach, Darvin Ham. He he played from 96 to 2008 in the NBA and was an assistant with the Lakers for a couple of years and the Hawks for a while, most recently the Bucks. Um you know, obviously yeah, this, this was, guy uh, uh, yeah. This was shocking to me. I thought they were going to go with uh Mark Jackson. I felt like that was a pretty good option there, but uh I did not see Darvin Ham being the guy uh for yeah. One of basketball's biggest uh, and most famous franchises. 
you know, I, I'm not upset with it because he he's from he played in the G League and started out as a coach in the G League. So I'm sure he could reach those younger players, help in development. He's worked with Kobe Bryant, Pal Gasol, Dwight Howard, um, Giannis. So I, I'm not upset with this one. I think uh, I think the Lakers got a good one, maybe more of a, a developer than a GM type coach. So mm-hmm. hopefully that'll help him. Yeah, they already got a GM. He's playing point guard for him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, I guess we'll finish it off. Uh, the NBA draft lottery happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we didn't get a a full mock draft in reaction because it happened right after we finished our show. So. I'll uh, talk about some notable picks here in a, in a mock draft. Number one, the Orlando Magic going Chet Holmgren here. I think we know who the top three players are going to be. Just the order is uh, a bit confusing. Orlando is a team that is a little more set than the others. They have a lot of guards and they have two big men. But I think Chet Holmgren could take over the Mobamba role. He should be a great defender, projects to be one. And uh, I wouldn't be upset here. I think he fits more with Orlando. Sorry, with OKC. Do you have something? Uh, I've always been curious about Chet Holgram, and I yeah. look at him and his size, and I'm just so confused on how he's going to be able to stop a lot of guys in, in the NBA. I know he's tall. I know he's super, super lanky, but there's a lot of guys that look to be a lot stronger than him in the NBA. So, Oh, I, I think that's possible, but Giannis was skinnier when he came into the league. It's possible. Yeah, but... But I always hear elite defender with, with Chet, and yeah. I feel like he's just going to be—he's just going to get bodied. I feel it's, like it, he's always the thing about him is he's always moving. He doesn't get lost in space. He's always thinking too. I, I think that's part of it too. He may be a little—I don't want to say undersized, but you know, under strength. Yeah. But uh, I, I think kind of how uh, how Gobert thinks Chet Holmgren can do it from the perimeter. Uh, which which we've never seen before, and that's why he's projected so high. You know, uh, the next pick, OKC, who I sh- sure really wants Chet Holmgren because they like uh, those development guys. They're going with Jabari Smith here. Uh, he's compared to uh, two way Richard Lewis or uh, Michael Porter Jr. type guy. This is a guy who can create his own shot, so I'm sure OKC would be fine with that too. And number three, Houston. They're going with Paulo Banquero, uh, the third of the top three here. They compare him to Chris Webber, Julius Randle. This is a guy who is probably the the most NBA ready out of all these guys. They just don't know how he would play with the others, and maybe that's why Houston, who doesn't really have any chemistry right now, would yeah. want him. That's fair. <laughs> uh, number yeah. four. Sorry. No, no, nothing. It's just Houston's okay. a train wreck. Yes, yes, that is true. Uh, number four. Sacramento lucked into the top five here. They got number four. They're going with Shaden Sharp, uh, wing from, well, he went to Kentucky for a little bit, but he never played there. So he's, he's a wing from USA. Uh, they compare him to Paul George or a taller Bradley Beal. And I'm sure Sacramento would be stoked for that. Uh, obviously they, probably going to turn into Mario Hazonia if he's going to Sacramento. Probably, which, uh, we won't be rooting for him to land there, but if he does, Good luck. He's probably going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> Running out the top five, Detroit, who uh, is probably going to be upset. They don't get one of those big men, but they're going to go with Jaden Ivey here. The first sophomore off the board in a year of sophomores. He's uh, an explosive guard compared to Donovan Mitchell or Victor Oladipo. 
Um, I like this draft class. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of starters here. You know, mm-hmm. not a boomer bust year. Yeah, uh, number six. Here's another one of those guys, uh, Keegan Murray, a sophomore from Iowa, going to the Pacers. Uh, forward compared to Pascal Siakam or T.J. Warren, who you know sounds sure. like a solid starter. Yeah. Uh, seventh, A.J. Griffin to the Trailblazers. Portland needs a whole lot. And here's a, a three and D guy and AJ Griffin from Duke. They compare him to Jalen Brown or a three point shooting Jimmy Butler. And uh, there's a, a nice little running mate for, uh, for Dane. Yeah. I think Dane, if they just go into the season with this roster, Dane's not going to like it. So they, they got to make a move for a star or trade Dame and get past this era with him. But, uh, I, don't know, I think Dame's kind of done with this complacency. They, he either wants to be a title contender or he just wants to be a title contender, basically. Yeah. Uh, number eight, New Orleans got this pick from the Lakers. They're going with Johnny Davis, the guard from Wisconsin. Uh, a bigger rebounding kind of a, a two guard if that, that kind of ran the one in college, so it's interesting, but they compare him to Devin Harris or Sean Livingston. And... I mean, kind of, kind of perfect for New Orleans. They just, they just need bodies who can score right now. I think. Yeah, that's fair. Number nine, San Antonio, going with Benedict Matherin, wing from Arizona. They compare him to Karis LeVert or Jamal Crawford. Uh, just a really explosive dude, and uh, that's what San Antonio loves. True. And we'll we'll end after the tenth pick here. Washington, they're going with Jeremy Sohan. I think is how you na- say his name. The wing from Baylor. Uh, they they think he's Draymond Green. He's uh, 6'9", 230, kind of a pass-first defending forward. And I know Draymond is, uh, exactly is, is high praise. Is yeah. very high praise. But, yeah, it, it, fits, it fits the mold here. So a, a guy who maybe could go earlier than this. You know, we saw Patrick Williams go number four uh, to the Bulls. So another guy to keep your eye on. And all yeah. right, we'll uh, we'll wrap up half time with that right there. Yeah. Next up that we're talking about uh, is going to be our full in-depth NBA Finals preview. Uh, we're kind of going offhand here. We're not. We don't really have any guided schedule for this, but there's a few things that I want to talk about that we talked yeah. about last year. I saw on social media earlier today. Uh, so first thing that I want to talk about, I saw Colin Cowherd do it was. Ranking his top 10 players in the finals. Not doing 10 guys, though. We're going to do five. Uh, so we okay. can start from the top. Who do you think is the best player in the NBA finals this year? I think I have to say Jason Tatum. Why? Why, why Tatum over Curry, basically, is the question there. Because I think he has a, a better ability to take over a game. That's fair. That's fair. Because, I, I'm uh, definitely saying on his that. own, on his own, you know, not, not in like matchup wise by himself. I, I, I think I have to take Tatum. Uh, I'm going Steph. Uh, Steph is the best player in this finals. He, he, the gravity that he creates on offenses. He's the only guy in NBA history that you have to pick up from half court. Uh, and when you have to do that, you can get beat at the rim because he's so quick. And now he's so strong at this point, too. Uh, 
So I'm going with Steph at number one, which leads to Tatum at number two, obviously. Yeah. And I'm a big Tatum guy. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge Tatum guy. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just putting Tatum right behind Curry here. It's not a big gap, but it's a gap. All right. Obviously, Steph would be next for me. Mm, and then who's your number three? Number three. I'm going to have to go with Jalen Brown, uh, slightly over Jordan Poole. Maybe Jordan shock Poole. for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he's it's a similar role. Jalen Brown has just been doing it longer, a little better. Yeah, I for, for number three, for me, I'm also going Jalen Brown. I look at him and I see a lot of Clay Thompson. Uh, not in the way that he can shoot as well, obviously, but he's a little bit more athletic than Clay Thompson. He's a really good two-way player, uh, two-way wing, the big wing pretty much uh, for that Celtics team. So I have Brown at number three. And then from number four, I have Draymond. I think Draymond's definitely got to be number four for me over Poole, mm. over Clay, over any of those guys, uh, over Marcus Smart as well. Just because he his understanding of the game, especially in the Warriors system, is so well. Uh, he does everything right on defense. He's going to do a lot of things right on offense. He has some sketchy games sometimes, but it's not all the time, and it's not the majority of the time either. Uh, obviously, he can't shoot well, but Draymond is Draymond, man. Playoff Draymond yeah. is back, and it's good to see. Who's your number four, Skyler? Uh So four, like I said, is, is going to be Jordan Poole because I think he can get to the basket a lot easier than a lot of these other guys. And uh, especially in this series, the one and two best defenses in the league, that's going to be a huge factor. And then I'll just say five is Draymond for the same reasons. I just, you know, I guess for this series, I I liked having pool at four for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah. Five, five is an interesting spot for me. I think you can either go clay or can go Wiggins here. You could go pool, whatever you really want to do. You can go Marcus smart. If you're a Celtics fan, I guess Uh, I'm going to go clay very slightly over Wiggins just because clay is still a lights out shooter. Uh, and he can play some great defense. Wiggins, I think, has the capability to do more uh, as far as on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. But Clay has a very good understanding of what he can do, what he's good at, what he's not good at. And he plays to his strengths super, super well. So I got Clay as number five. Next up, this question seems uh, a little bit one-sided. I feel like it. This so the question is which. Uh, ring would mean more for each side, uh, like a ring for the Celtics and Tatum getting his first ring and Jalen Brown, that duo getting their first ring, Marcus Smart, and just all the stuff Boston's gone through this year uh, with being shitty and then being decent, new coach, and then becoming one of the best teams in the league. Or the Warriors, who this isn't going to make them a dynasty. I think Draymond already said this already, but this ring isn't going to make them a dynasty. This ring isn't going to make them anything that they weren't before this is just going to add on to it and it's going to make this dynasty even greater than it was before uh so what what ring do you think would mean more i think if the warriors won it would definitely let the the league know we're not going anywhere but with boston you know this was such a hard playoff run for them i think to actually get it done would uh would mean more here uh Obviously, they uh, 
if you ask a Celtics fan, they've been screwed a couple of times here since 2008, the last time they won it. Mm. Uh, and and for those reasons, I'm, I'm going with Boston. As much as I want to say the Warriors, I think uh, in Jason Tatum's legacy, because that's what really stands out the most to me when it's going to be all sudden done and he's 38, 39 years old and we're looking at what he did in his career and the teams that he beat and stuff like that. If he has his first ring come against this dynasty, this team, I know people are going to be saying at that point, oh, stuff was washed and Draymond couldn't shoot, blah, blah, blah. Clothes come off these injuries. But if Jason Tatum beats this team, that's by, I mean, it's obviously going to be the greatest accomplishment of his life basketball wise, but I mean, it's going to mean a lot for his legacy. Uh, Celtics wise, I don't think it means as much. I mean, the Celtics have won a ton of rings in their, their existence, but as far as for Jason Tatum's legacy, I definitely think it means more in total team legacy. I'll go with the Warriors though. All right. Next up. Uh, let's get to the series now itself. Who do you think is going to win this series? Uh, we're not going to get the finals MVP quite yet. Okay. But who do you think is going to win this series? And why do you think they're going to win the series? And in how many games is that team going to win? This All right. Uh, should I go through my monologue now? Yeah. Monologue okay. time. Scott was talking about his monologue prior to the show. Uh, I, we didn't really know when to get to it though. Uh, but we're getting to it now. All right. Here we go. I am surprised that Boston isn't a heavy favorite. Since Steve Kerr was hired, Boston's had the best record against Warriors in, in the NBA. Uh, they have unlocked a way to defend them that no one else has figured out yet. However, Golden State's no slouch on defense either. Tatum was turning over the ball like crazy against Miami, except for Game 7. When he got a double team, he didn't know what to do with it. And Golden State on offense has stretches every single game where they're unguardable. Just depends how long the stretch is. The series starts with Curry versus Smart. That's important, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the wings. Can Wiggins stay solid on D? Still slam it down. Can Clay hit all of his open shots and rotate in time? Can Draymond shut down Horford and Williams without getting too emotional? I say yes. It's Warriors and seven. If it's not their year, I don't know whose it is. Yeah. There's a, I saw a TikTok today, which was actually kind of funny. Uh, this guy goes, this is, this is one of the best matchups we've ever seen against the Warriors in the, in the finals where they have not really, because the Warriors want you to switch. They want you to switch guys into certain spots, create terrible matchups. And the Celtics, there isn't really any terrible matchups. I think uh, the bigs match up with the bigs well. Guards match up with the guards really well, especially defensively. Marcus Smart has played really well against Steph in his whole career. But there's all these things and that, that lead into the Celtics. And then he goes, with that being said, I have the Warriors in six games, <laughs> which is true. There's like, I look at this and there's just, Boston can play really well, but it's the Warriors. Like, like and I think a lot of people have given that respect now at this point where they understand this isn't, this isn't just any team. This isn't a team that's playing in the first finals. It's going to have the nerves uh, of these, this Boston Celtics team who doesn't have anybody on their roster has played in the NBA finals. Draymond Green has said it multiple times in, in interviews where the finals are just different. You can play in all these playoff games before, but if you've never played in a finals game, it's just different. 
and there's Draymond, there's Steph, there's Clay, there's Looney. I know Wiseman hasn't yet. I know Poole hasn't yet. But these guys have played in like 40 finals games. And there just isn't there isn't a lot of people who have done that. So just like that TikTok said, I'm going with the Warriors in six. Next up, we got to award an MVP. Mm-hmm. We got to. Who's your finals MVP, Skyler? He's finally going to get it. I think Wiggins is going to play like the MVP, but when it's all said and done, they got to give it to Steph Curry because he's going to average the most points. He's going to have that moment where he heats up and he's unguardable. Obviously, yeah. it takes a little bit of of everybody doing that to win a finals, but I think the big one's going to be from Curry. He's going to finally get his hardware. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Steph's time. He doesn't really have anything to prove, but he's got a whole lot to lose, I feel like, at this point. I feel like for legacy speaking, if you go three and three in the finals, it's kind of tough to, to look at it that way. But four and two is a whole lot different than three and three. Uh, and getting that first finals MVP, I mean, Steph's going to lock into a mode that I don't think we've really seen in quite some time or really at all in his career. Where he just he's he's going. I'm not letting this team loose. He, and usually it's Draymond that's like that. Where even though he's not scoring, he's doing a lot of things defensively, stuff like that. He's not letting this team lose. But I think Steph locking into that mode now too. And uh, I think Steph finally does get his first Finals MVP. And uh, if he does, it's going to be very sweet to say that he did. With that being said, let's go to our bets. All right. Last week was rough. It was really, really rough. Uh, Woof. I, yeah, I got one pick right. Skyler got no picks right. I had the A's, M's, NRFI on Wednesday. There was not a run in the first inning, uh, so I got that right. Skyler had Houston winning the series at Seattle. Seattle somehow played well and uh, won the series there. So Skyler gets that in the red. This week, though, I have the Yankees over the Angels tomorrow. That's Nestor Cortez Day versus Reed Detmers. So I'm picking the Yanks. All right. I'm going with uh, the Rays to win a series against Chicago this weekend. Um, Chicago already batting, battling injuries. Now they don't have Tim Anderson either. Tampa Bay should uh, probably shut them out at least once. Sure. On to last week for our bold predictions. I had Jason Tatum averages 30-plus in the series. He averaged 25. He had a good series. Obviously won the Eastern Conference Finals MVP, but he didn't have that unconscious series of averaging 30-plus, which was probably impossible for him to even get. But uh, nonetheless, good series for Tatum, but it's going to be a red for me. Uh, And then Skyler had Miami in seven. Uh, unfortunately, Miami did not win in seven. Maybe if Jimmy Butler hit that shot, it is green right now, but it's not. Uh, and then this week, I have the Mets taking at least three out of four in Los Angeles versus the Dodgers. Should be a fun series to watch this weekend. Two of the best teams in the NL going at it. And I think the Mets are just going to show why they're the best right now. All right. Really, what do you got? So... You may be wondering why I had the Warriors in seven instead of six, like Kyle here. And uh, let me tell you why Boston is going to win a game on the road at Golden State. I think they just, like I said, uh, well, let me get that. I'll explain here. Uh, Like I said, I think Boston's unlocked a way to defend the Warriors that no one else understands how to do it yet. And I think 
probably one of the first two games, the Warriors are going to get absolutely embarrassed. Uh, the headlines are going to be crazy. They're going to talk about the Warriors blowing it, Steph's legacy, but it's not going to face them. And because of the headlines I'm predicting, that's why I, I have it in a in a bold prediction here. Okay, that's fair. As yeah. I said, I was just looking at this, I'm like, I don't know if that's super bold. Yeah. Boston has been super good mm. uh, as far as winning games on the road, and they'd have four chances if it goes to seven. But uh, I'll say Boston embarrasses at Warriors. All right. Sounds good. All right. That's going to do it for episode 90, though. It's been a fun one. Top 10 psyche basements. Yeah, that's the big thing we're talking about next week. Next week, yeah. Uh, We'll be through game two of the finals, I believe. The points of the series will be going back to Boston at that point. Yeah. Uh, It'll be past June 1st, so maybe the Raiders have made a move as far as with that $20 million of cap space that they're getting here in the next week or so. Yeah. Uh, our bets obviously will be answered and uh, we'll see. So we shall see y'all next Tuesday when we do episode 91. Go Warriors. Watch the finals. Curry is the greatest to ever do it. Greatest of all time. Later. <laughs>